Welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry, and tomorrow I get to pet an alpaca. This chat is with Vickel Parikh, an animator and studio owner of Attaboy Studios in New York. Now, what makes Vickel's journey interesting is that he actually studied to become an architect in India, but realized he wanted to get into the animation industry in the late 90s and so applied for and got accepted into the Savannah College of Art and Design, and the rest is history. So in our chat, he's going to share how difficult it was to make the trek from India to the US in the early 2000s, plus everything he's learned about starting a studio, successfully pitching commercial clients keeping relationships going, and how to win projects without compromising on budget. So now, without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Vickle. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. What's up? Hey, Terry. Um, you know, uh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, and uh, beautiful summer night. Uh, where, where are you calling from specifically? Uh, I'm right in now, I'm, yeah, right now I'm in Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, but we do live in New Jersey. Okay. All right. So it's uh, all right. So, okay. So I think your story is really interesting. And, and we were kind of chatting about this before, but you know, you came from Mumbai to the US in pursuit of this career. Can you tell me, you know, how that, why and how that happened for you? Like, that's a big jump. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it was quite interesting the way it happened. Uh, I was practicing architecture back in Mumbai. And uh, after having, you know, gone to school for architecture for five years and working for a couple of years, uh, 3D visualization was becoming a big part of the architectural design, um, you know, aspect of it, like everything, uh, you know, people started to use Maya, Max uh, to visualize 3D software, uh, 3D uh, spaces, and they were using the softwares to, uh, you know, sort of aid them in getting the right textures, the mood, and also communicating with the client. So I thought that that was an interesting niche. And, uh, you know, I really uh, did not want to learn, uh, you know, more about architecture, but I really wanted to learn about different tools that I could use to actually design spaces. And uh, that was the main goal, you know, behind pursuing my MFA at SCAD. And they had this like really cool program for computer arts. And it was basically using a computer as your canvas to create all sorts of art. So, you know, they didn't really uh, focus on any particular software or any medium. They just, you know, would teach you everything. And uh, you created these short little films uh, and, uh, you know, using these computer software or cameras or, you know, any sort of digital technology. So that's that's what it came into being. So wait, so you spent five years in school in architecture and then you were working yep. in the field for a couple of years. And then you were like, I I've learned enough about buildings like i don't i don't want this anymore after seven years for, for then yeah for for the moment like for the i spent moment. seven years just like learning and you know immersing ourselves in architecture i kind of wanted a break and you know sort of a, a different way to express myself so so for you because you know going to the u.s and going to scott is a huge jump from from where you are in india what what made you say like, oh, I like learning Maya and, and 3D space is really interesting. And then you were looking at international schools to like get back into school and kind of start from scratch a little bit. Yeah, because there was, you know, there was no real organized uh, program back in India back then uh, that taught you. So they had these sort of certificate co courses as they called it there. They, they would basically just teach you the software and it was also very limited in, you know, what they offered. Uh, they weren't really teaching you using computer as sort of a tool to 
create, uh, you know, whether it's buildings or art or, you know, stories. And I think at that point, like I felt that this world would, you know, definitely open the way I looked at things and played around with form, shape and spaces. And uh, SCAD for that, you know, at that moment I had this like really interesting program, which was very open-ended. And I thought I could make use of it to, you know, sort of further, uh, you know, my knowledge in computer, which sort of seemed like it was inevitable, you know, that's kind of how the world was moving. And this was back in 2000. So, so you were, um, you were like looking at the market and the industry and saying, this is like kind of up and coming. I, I can find yeah. success in this area if I pursue it right now. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So it was pretty, it was pretty methodical to make this switch. And did you, did you intend to get into like narrative filmmaking and, and animation specifically, or just. I, I totally did not. I totally did not. I, uh, you know, while at SCAD, I sort of started enjoying the process of telling a story. And I never thought of myself as a filmmaker or, and, you know, even an animator, you know, so to speak. But I started enjoying myself, like uh, expressing myself uh, using, uh, you know, even like a collage in Photoshop, you know, and I, I felt like that was a very powerful way to uh, sort of, you know, say what I had visually to yeah. say. And, uh, I think that basically took me on a journey and uh, into like experimenting with digital filmmaking or animation, you know, or After Effects or Maya or whatever it is, but uh, just using those softwares. And, um, you know, even, even as basic as like storyboarding, like I had no idea what storyboarding was, you know, that you would have to storyboard something. Like I really, my upbringing and family, I, you know, it's completely... Uh, you know, the only relationship they have to entertainment is like going to a movie hall and watching a movie. You know, we yeah. had like no filmmakers. So I really didn't know the process. And uh, I think this was my first sort of, you know, dipping my toes into it. And I quite enjoyed it. Nice. So you're, so you're already a mature student when you when you pursued this. So I'm assuming you took it pretty seriously. Um, what yeah. was the biggest? I went to my mentors. Yeah. Yeah. What was the biggest challenge of coming from India to study in the the states? Like, if somebody is listening to this right now and they're in India and they want to come and maybe go to SCAD, like, what is something that you really had to overcome to get to get that? Uh, you know, I, I think it's just the education process. Uh, you know, it is pretty self reliant in the U.S. Whereas in India, I think like traditionally our education process is very structured and, you know, it has to do with like the British way of, you know, education and uh, India being a colony, you know, they sort of inherited that education system and like everything's very structured and they tell you what to do and you're free to like play within the confines of that, but, you know, really not as much. So you knew like, all right, this semester I had these three subjects I was studying and next semester, these were three subjects. Whereas when I came here, I'm like, wait, I could pick my course. Like I could do whatever I wanted. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, so how do they know I finished all my courses? And they were like, well, you just get credit and uh, those credits credits add up and you, know, you graduate. I was like, wow, that's pretty simple. So I literally just took things that I was very interested in or intrigued in, um, in the first couple of semesters. And then after that, you know, I was able to sort of further that, take the advanced course or, you know, try something new. And while, while you were, you know, going through the process of SCAD and trying these new courses, were you consciously thinking about where you wanted to take your career? Like, like when you graduated with 
um, certificate, I guess, or is it a degree? Yeah, like MFA. Yeah. MFA. Yes. Then, then, like, what was your next step? Like, you were like, I love dabbling in 3D spaces, and I've learned all these programs and storyboards and filmmaking. Like, wh where was your first break? Where did it bring you? Yeah, yeah. I graduated in the fall of 2011. So, you know, or no, uh, fall of 2004. So, you know, September 11 happened, and, you know, the economy was pretty much shut down. So yeah. people were not hiring and, you know, things were rather strange. So, no, I had no focus in what I was going to do. At that point, I, you know, realized I liked entertainment. I liked telling stories and I just wanted to do something that would help me pursue that further. I didn't know in what direction or what capacity. I mean, my goal always was to, you know, spend a couple of years in New York and then go back to Mumbai and, you know, be with my family and, you know, sort of. Uh, take what I have uh, learned here and experienced here and sort of, you know, try and implement that in whatever I do in Mumbai. But, uh, you know, New, New York is a very sort of uh, charismatic place and very similar to Mumbai in that sense. And, you know, that's why I share like the same bond with you know, New York City as I do with Mumbai, uh, even though, you know, most of the people I went to school with moved to L.A. because of the big entertainment industry. Uh, you know, I thought like New York was very interesting. And I you know, I, I got an internship here at this place called Edgeworks. And um, it was really through, uh, you know, like an ex, uh, like a SCAD alumni that basically got, got us an internship there. And, uh, you know, I, I came up here with a really good friend of mine and uh, we both uh, were interning there. And, you know, it was uh, just experiencing New York and, you know, things were happening and, uh, you know, next thing you know, like uh, we were sort of pitching on this project for MTV and we were just interns back then. And, you know, it, it, the project sort of comes in Friday, like hot and heavy. And they're like, oh, we need some ideas for like a show that we're doing, like a reality show. And it has to involve like college students and what have you. And uh, you guys seem young, you know, why don't you guys throw something together? And we were like, well, uh, we got paid 500 bucks for it. So, you know, we pitched a few ideas and, uh, you know, one of the ideas got picked, which was quite interesting. And we got to work on the, that show for a couple of years. And that was really the first foray into, you know, any sort of entertainment. Which, which show was it? It was called Room Raiders. Okay. I don't know if I'm familiar with that. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's, I guess, like 2003, but it was quite popular back then. And, uh, you know, they would go to, it's an interesting show, like you'd go to colleges uh, and... Um, you'd raid the other person's room. So you would get invited to like raid the other person's room. So you go in there and try to see what, you know, how the dorm rooms are kept. So you have a blue light and a black light and, uh, you know, all these sort of stuff to just see like how clean the space is. Oh boy. <laughs> how clean a college dorm room is. That sounds, yeah. that sounds scary. <laughs> exactly. So, okay. So, so we talked about, you know, where you came from in your first break, where, where are you right now? So right now, uh, I'm at the studio called Attaboy that I founded, uh, you know, like nine, nine and a half years ago. And uh, I've been there for the past nine and a half years, clearly. But it's in New York. And, uh, you know, we do all sorts of things. Uh, mainly we do craft, uh, you know, craft-driven, design-driven storytelling. And mm -hmm. uh, we really take uh, pride in the storytelling aspect of it and use um, you know, sort of this, uh, you know, like a human touch to everything we create, even though yeah. it's on the computer, but has like a little bit of a tactile feeling. 
um, you know, whether it is uh, collage or miniatures or whatever, but we, uh, you know, style agnostic, try to see what the final goal is, uh, you know, of the project and sort of reverse engineer it to, you know, uh, coming up with a concept. And then production is just what happened in between the two. So did you did you catch the bug when you had to originally pitch that first show that you got 500 bucks for and then just carry that same mentality through and to found your own studio? Like what what are the yeah. steps in between that enabled you to, you know, stay yeah. in this industry and then found your own company? Uh, I, I, you know, it's a lot of luck and a lot of hard work. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's like making the right moves at the right time. But, you know, like around 2002, three when we graduated, it was sort of the era of like motion graphics kind of like, you know, coming on its own. And we, people were using it, you know, After Effects, like animate, like really cool stuff, integrating 3D into commercial production. Uh, you know, broadcast design was really hot. And uh, so it was kind of the right time to, you know, do what I was doing. And uh, so I was freelancing around New York City for a year or so when uh, I landed at this, uh, you know, sort of editorial place, post-production place called Red Car. And, uh, you know, the managing director there at the time was like, well, you're doing something that we have the need for, and uh, we'd like you to, you know, um, work here. And, uh, you know, and I'd never had a job before that. So I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think I'm like suited for a, you know, like a nine to six job and I'm doing like task driven stuff. And she was like, well, I'll tell you what, we have this need that we need to fill. So there are projects that need to be done. But other than that, you know, here's our head of sales and, you know, she'll help you get whatever clients, you know, you want, whatever kind of work you do, she'll help you get it. You know, she was pretty well connected. So at the time, you know, it seemed like a great idea and it, it really was. It, you know, uh, put me in touch with a lot of uh you know, agencies and uh, stakeholders at the agencies. And I was able to build, uh, you know, really long lasting relationships with them. And eventually, uh, you know, start Attaboy and those relationships, you know, continue mm. over and uh, we all continue to collaborate. How, so like, this is all happening in New York the whole time, right? Yeah. Is it, ex I mean, I assume it's extremely competitive, especially in New York to, to like land clients and keep a studio open. Is that true? Yeah, it, I mean, it is, I feel like now with the pandemic, it's like even more competitive because, you know, uh, location is really not the key. Now you have yeah. like these really, you know, killer studios in like Portland or Detroit, like doing like some really great work and even overseas, you know, um, doing some really good work and, you know, through social media and, uh, you know, digital platforms, uh, creatives are sort of starting to, you know, see this kind of work. So. It, yes, it is very competitive um, and, you know, we're not afraid of competing, you know, like we, I have a solid team behind me at Attaboy. So, you know, we can like stack up to whatever level. And, uh, you know, like I said, like our studio, the ideology is to sort of be nimble, to yeah. never get bogged down with sort of, you know, the run of the mill, like, oh, you know, make a payroll, that sort of deal. Uh, just we try to be very nimble and work with the artists we really like to work with and do work that we really like doing with people that we like doing. So um, you know, it gives us that flexibility. Okay, so flexibility is like a key strategy of yours in, in getting clients, but you also said stacking up. What do you mean exactly by that? Like say you're, you've got a, like a request for proposal or whatever, and you're competing against, I don't know, 10 other studios. Like how do you make sure that your 
proposal is like they're gonna go for it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I you know, I so there there's no strategy to win, but there's a strategy to strategy for the way we think. And okay. you know, we try to think where we keep the end goal in mind. So it's not really like what style of work you want to create. It's really what's your end goal? Like you really want to create like a video for YouTube. And, uh, you know, your goal is to land a lot of viewers. So we sort of, you know, reverse engineer that. Like, okay, what is something your demographic would really enjoy and would gravitate towards? And, you know, just going back from that, we align that with the brief that's given to us and sort of pick and choose elements and come up with really a strategy and uh, explain it thoroughly in our proposal. Like that's really something we don't skip on is to use like just photographs, written material, but try to explain as be as detailed as we can so that even if we don't have a chance to go over the proposal in person, like if someone's just reading it like a graphic novel or, you know, what we call a director's treatment, uh, you know, they get the picture, they get our vision, whether the vision is aligned with the risks they're willing to take is a different story. And that determines the outcome. But, you know, I would say like we have a pretty good uh, winning ratio. So, I think we, you know, sort of have the pulse of uh, advertising. Can you remember like a time when, you know, a client was like iffy and you, you like really sold it home to them and like what, what that was? Cause what you just told me, it sounds like you're, you're selling them a lot more of the outcome than you are the creative in a sense, even though like my immediate thought is like, oh, creative, cool ideas. You can try this, you can try that, but you're trying to sell them, you know, the success criteria yeah, I think that that's, you know, listen, we're in the business of selling. We sell, you know, what I say is we sell product, we sell purpose, or we sell people, you know, and we just create content that, you know, sells this. So we, you know, the goal is to either align the audience with what the company has to say or sell. And I think, you know, they want to do more of that. Like they want more people, they want their advertising to be effective. So at the end of the day, the approach that you know sells that idea the best is the best approach now creatively you know i mean so first to me creative is very uh, you know it's uh, it's a very generic term you know something that's creative to it's very specific you know audience specific so what a 12 year old finds creative you know 30 year old is not going to find creative and i think we sort of have to fit them all and we have to figure out like who the target audience is and what they're trying to sell. Like, you know, when we are doing a commercial for say Bomb Pop and, uh, you know, so it's like fun paper, like, you know, irreverent, like it's like crazy mayhem going on. Uh, it's not the same when we do a project for UNDP, you know? And so we have to, that's really what we're talking about outcome and the stakeholders that, uh, you know, really are the ones that decide what the creative should be. And if you work with agency, agencies, uh, I would say a lot of times the baseline is set in terms of creative, like either we get sort of references or we get sort of a loose script or we get some sort of visual guide, like, all right, you know, so this is what's being sold to the client and this is the script. Now we want this vision to be fully fleshed out and developed. And so how far we stray from that vision, it really depends on you know, how far that creative is from the final goal. Gotcha. I'm just, as you're talking, you sound much more like a business person now than, uh, you know, an, an animator or somebody who works in the 3D spaces. Is that true? Or are you still kind of uh, doing that as well? 
I'm, I'm still, I'm not on the box per se, yeah. but you know, if you're in this, uh, I mean, as a director, you know, you are basically selling yourself, you're selling your craft and you are, you know, at every given point, you're sort of, you know, trading, you're doing stuff, you know, you're just deal like, even when you're doing shooting live action, you know, we are working with DPs and like sort of combining visions together. So there's a lot of give and take and it's a collaboration. And so if it comes across as business, you know, maybe uh, it is, but, uh, you know, I think it's about really about like collaborative vision because you have like so many people working on a project together. It's never, you know, when we do a project, it's not like me, you know, it's seldom, uh, you know, at least like 10 people involved in the project, starting from producers to planning and giving us the resources we need to get it done. Uh, yeah, that'd be producer like, well, you know, I just have two animators available to you to get this job done. And then you have to sort of start getting creative as to like, all right, so what can we do to maximize this story with limited resources and still come across as, you know, a very nicely produced piece. And I think, you know, that sort of thinking is what, uh, to me personally, is uh, the maturity in your work. Because yeah. otherwise, you'll just kill yourself doing every single project, and there'll be a huge burnout. What What is giving you specific energy to uh, you know thrive in this role now? Because I'm thinking back to you know younger Vickle who pursued uh, architecture, and then you know crossed the ocean to pursue uh, SCAD, and then was doing his first internship. And like you've obviously evolved a lot since then. What is giving you energy to thrive in this like studio ownership slash directing? slash everything role now versus like what was giving you energy at the beginning is that the same thing it is it, you know if if you're not passionate about what you're doing this is the wrong industry to be in yeah right <laughs> yeah hey I, I i gotta tell you like you know it's always competitive you continually have to reinvent yourself you have to have your you know sort of uh technical knowledge and the knowledge of you know where the media is heading to what stories are being, you know, perceived well. And, uh, you know, socially also, you have to be pretty relevant. You know, you have to know exactly, you know, how, you know, people, your audience is going to react to a certain joke or a certain piece of creative. And I think it keeps it fresh. And I think that's what I love about it, that yeah. it never gets old, never gets stale. It's, you know, I, it's, I, I don't know. I, I don't wake up saying like, oh, another day, you know, uh, same shit, new day. Uh, I, I don't ever say that. Yeah. Do you ever um, like envision yourself taking maybe an easier path in your career, like a different job? Like, do you have friends where you're like, oh, I wish I had your job because it's easier and stable? Like, is that a thing? Nah. Nah. <laughs> nah. I, I think I'll do this over and over. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. It, it's super exciting. And, you know, it's what we do. And you have three little kids and, you know, they're excited at what I do. Like they, they love, they see the creative side and they also see like, you know, just a nine to five job is not the way to go. Yeah. Um, you know, so what, I is, also, you know what, are, what are your hours more like then? I have no hours. Like there are really no hours. It, you know, I can be at the beach in the afternoon if I need to. And I, can, I need to. <laughs> yeah. And if I can be working till 1 a.m. in the morning if I need to. So, you know, it's basically whatever uh, the work needs to get done. And my mental space needs to be in the right, my head needs to be in the right mental space. So, whatever I need to do to get there, I do. Yeah. 
Would you say that it kind of sounds like maybe your strongest attribute or skill that has allowed you to thrive in this role throughout the years is that you're constantly problem solving and, and interested in keeping things fresh? Yeah, I, I would say so. I think that yeah. that would be really accurate. So you mentioned, uh, you know, you have to keep where the market is going. Can you tell me what your thoughts are on that right now, especially because, you know, this pandemic has created uh, people can go to any studio in the world and a lot of like independent creators like myself, you know, I have a studio in my bedroom now, then I've been contracted to make stuff too. You're competing with like people like me, studios around the world. Like how is the, I guess also, maybe this is too many questions at once, but how is, you know, the format of what you're doing changing and how are you keeping on top of that? Uh, the format of what we're doing, it, you know, has been changing for a while. Like with the advent of social media and advertising on social media and the vertical, you know, phone formats, like obviously that we've sort of, you know, figured that out. Uh, you know, the way we sort of keep things fresh and the different perspective that we bring together as a team is really, you know, our edge. And, you know, as a team collaboratively, you know, we can come up with ideas and solutions that, you know, perhaps a single person may or may not be able to, you know, come about or mm -hmm. might feel like a heavy lift. So, you know, uh, for create independent creators, I wouldn't say like we compete, we definitely collaborate with a lot of independent, uh, you know, animators, designers, filmmakers, uh, you know, we collaborate with a lot of them and they all have their independent, you know, studios, but they also have a strength that they play to. And our goal is to identify that strength and bring that sort of artist or creator on board for a project, for multiple projects, and uh, you know really uh, give our clients or give, you know do justice to the project in its best possible way. Yeah. So one thing I'm I'm curious about is um, you know there's TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. There's so many like formats and social medias that companies now have to promote on. Are you seeing budgets? Kind of go down in shorter projects like to advertise on TikTok, for instance, you need something really quick and ridiculous versus yeah. like on TV where you can do a full like 30 second spot with a huge budget. Like, is that is that uh, how are you seeing that come into play, I guess, overall in the market? Yeah, I mean, that that's definitely happening. And I don't see that going away anywhere. Um, you know, we, if the creative is interesting, if it serves the purpose for the studio, you know, uh, sometimes it's creative, sometimes it's financial. If it serves the purpose, then we'll sort of undertake that, uh, I would say journey. Uh, but a lot of times, like if we are just competing on price, then, you know, it's really kind of race to the bottom and we rather not sort of indulge in that. So it really, if, you know, the vision of the project and our, the studio vision sort of coincide, then yes, we've done like a lot of, projects on like really cutthroat rates and try to do it because the final outcome is what we are interested in and whether it is like fitting our portfolio or you know something that's an itch that we've been you know sort of wanted to scratch for a while and be like all right you know we can test the waters with this project and then you know make sure uh, that's great then you know we'll undertake that. So you're so like most of the industry is working for studios and whatnot, but you, you know, own a studio, you have it, you have for like nine years, you're kind of, you know, at the head forefront of it. Where are you envisioning the studio going itself? Like as somebody who is kind of in control of that, like, is it, are you trying to just maintain, like you said, you're agile and, and you can stack up and down. Is it maintaining kind of what you have now, or are you specifically trying to 
dive into some kind of new foray or or build it up to be something bigger or even whatever i don't know i think our goal is always to build it up to be something bigger and you know we are bigger than we were nine years ago or five years ago even three years ago so how big how big were you nine years ago how big are you now just two people (laughs) two people so maybe you're three now no i'm just kidding well that's relative but uh you know i I, we are definitely bigger um the goal is to really not change the fabric of the studio as you get bigger. And I think that's really what, to me personally, that's what really matters the most is that, you know, the spirit, the agile spirit that we have, uh, I mean, you could be a team of hundred and still be agile. Like you don't really have to be like two or three people to be nimble. Um, But I think it's just the way we structure it is what, uh, you know, we want to keep consistent as the studio grows. And, you know, we are growing, we are handling like way more business than we were even like two years ago. And uh, I, I think that, you know, we are with, with the amount of content that needs to be created. I don't see that slowing down. Uh, I think we all have to adapt to new ways of doing things. And, you know, we are. Um, so I, I'm hoping like in the next five years, the studio will be a lot different than it is, but still retain it sort of uh, you know, quick, responsive uh, spirit and be able to undertake uh, projects that, you know, uh, we think align with our vision. Yeah, I guess. Sorry, just curious, how many people on average are you and maybe like the last year? So on the, on the roster, we have like five directors and we, uh, you know, including myself. And then uh, at the studio, we have producers, studio assistants, you know, business uh, people, uh, the PR team and like a host of artists. So we have four artists uh, that are, you know, on staff. Uh, and then we have at least half a dozen artists that are freelancing, depending on the, the kind of projects that we're working on. Yeah, so, so it's it's a team of, you know, maybe like 12, 15 people. Oh, wow. Okay. Because well, one question I have is, you know, you talked about, you know, keeping it agile, but I'm wondering, how do you, how do you build a consistent culture when you're uh, stacking up and down with people, you know, like, uh, like this is a, like, I don't know how to explain this question, I guess, but you know, when somebody joins a team, they feel like there's, they're part of the team and this is kind of the culture of this place, et cetera. Like, is that, is that something as well that you've had to work hard to kind of build and maintain? Yes, I think, yeah, you know, a lot of people, that, that's a very important point actually to, to maintain that, you know, culture. I think it, you have to act in a way that uh, reflects that. And, you know, you can tell someone like, this is the culture of the company, but if you work differently, or if the team works differently, then it's just all speak. And, uh, you know, it really doesn't matter. So in, you know, how we work together as a team and how people's concerns are heard, or, you know, the kind of projects we undertake, you know, I think that really matters. And for us, getting that core team of people together and consistent, I think that's important because we all understand each other's values and they understand like what the studio stands for and, you know, how easily bored we get with the kind of work we do. So, you know, we try to avoid, like if someone comes to us, be like, oh, you know, I have, you know, I see your project like this, like we want to create something just like that. And uh, so when we make a presentation, we'll make a conscious effort not to make it look like that, you know? And we try to like make it different uh, just to, you know, try and, you know, be able to keep our, you know, the brain cells working, always innovating, whether it is, uh, you know, how we manage our time 
to how we communicate, to how we animate, you know, uh, it, it really uh, just, like I said, keeping it fresh keeps me going. Yeah. And you, so you mentioned like the core group. So I would assume that's yourself, then <laughs> the directors and the producer and like those, those key animators is, is it, I mean, I'm making an assumption here, but do you, are you very slow to bring somebody into that core to make sure that they're the right type of. Yeah. In the yeah. Core? We are, we, you know, we try not to be that sort of revolving door. Yeah. And, you know, people that are there, we try to keep, you know, work consistent and as you're part of the core team. I'm, you know, I'm very possessive of what I call the retain knowledge. Hmm. And I think that's very important. Like when someone's working at a company, you know, their value is the retain knowledge they carry from project to project, year to year. And, you know, I think that's something you cannot teach people. And, you know, the shorthand uh, you create uh, while working together, I think is also very important. So, so, so oh, answer is yes. Yeah, cool. So let me just like do a little recap. Say I'm, say I'm like in a, I just started this new studio. I'm like one or two years in. Would you say that your keys to success over like the last nine years and going forward is you have this like core team that gets each other. You've stayed agile. You own, you're like picky about the projects you take because you don't want to like go down a, a path of, you know, budgetary concerns and whatnot. And you're trying to uh, like sell what the clients uh, specifically wants from their success criteria versus just the creative. Is that, does that make sense? Is there anything that yeah. I'm missing or you would add? No, I mean, I, I think you've said like all the ingredients of a successful business, they're not even a studio. <laughs> you know, if you do that, I think you can succeed at any business. <laughs> and you have to have an architecture degree to start and, with. Does yeah, that, does that give you any advantage specifically yourself? Like, I don't know, seeing things from a different perspective or whatnot. Cause like from, from my perspective, you know, I, I went back to animation school just a few years ago. I have a business degree before that I was in marketing and like, I see animation totally different than my fellow classmates and animators that I work with who kind of just were animation uh, from the start, like out of high school, went into animation and then blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you know, I think uh, studying architecture makes me really bad at drawing organic shapes. <laughs> you're, you're just like draw a ball and you're, here's a square. <laughs> yeah. I'm really bad at drawing organic shapes, but I understand space a lot better. Ah. So I think for me to create sort of that interplay of colors or, you know, negative, positive space, uh, even the way we sort of approach graphic design is, you know, very... Uh, I wouldn't say different, but it's definitely influenced by architecture. And, uh, you know, I also look at things in a very sort of foundation to top up way. Like I'm, I'm not the kind of person that sort of, uh, you know, starts sketching and then be like, all right, let's see, you know, I think I'm a little more structured than that. So for me, it's like a little bit of uh, know what the final building is. You're making a institutional building or skyscraper or a bungalow, you know? So that's my end goal. So I always want that in front of me. And then, you know, I sort of work backwards in terms of design, but then in terms of production, always from foundation, like layout, like a, you know, storyboard, animatic. Like I sort of try to keep that process intact. I love that you're using the principles of your original degree. And it's like, how many years later, like 20 years later or something? <laughs> I mean, I tell you, like, you know, once an architect, I feel like it's always an architect. Yeah. I, it, it's like foundation of any art. I really believe that architecture, like, I feel like anyone that wants to, you know, has an inkling to be creative and mm. doesn't know what they want to do. I think architecture is that degree that they can scratch all the itches in one go. 
Interesting. And is that because of the whole process of, you know, creating buildings from scratch and understanding spaces, like you said, or is there just like a difference mentality, like a mathematical mentality needed or, or whatnot? I, I just think like it, architecture in general encompasses like so many different, um, you know, walks of art, or art forms or, you know, walks of life that you need to have, like, like you said, like, you know, mathematical or physics, you know, need to be strong, make sure the building stands. Understanding of form and shape is definitely very important. Uh, geometry, you know, sort of comes yeah. into play. And, uh, you know, color, shape, like that sort of comes into play. And generally, like pop culture also plays a big part in architecture, you know, what a building looks like. So I think you're sort of pulling from so many different things and, you know, uh, sort of creating a building or a space that uh, I think that, you know, you sort of are very well-rounded in terms of, uh, you know, cultural and design aspect of life. So to me, that sounds like you're talking mostly about like the design of an animation and what it looks like. Does that help in the narrative as well and in, in the message that you're you're putting in the ad? Uh, I wouldn't say like architecture helps with the narrative per se, but uh, you know, you definitely start with the structured approach of how we want to sort of frame a story, you know, get the, like I said, get the foundations down first. Like let's start with design of like a character first. You know, and then like, let's, let's develop that character, let's build a story. And then, you know, how do you sort of say that story? I think that's an evolution of, uh, you know, an art form by itself. But uh, I think, uh, you know, just giving architecture gives me a sense of, um, you know, what world that character lives in or, you know, what world the audience wants to live in. Um, I, I just kind of have maybe a related question. Maybe it's not related, but I'm wondering how are you, you know, you've talked a lot about being agile and staying fresh. How are you doing that when, you know, there's new technologies like Unreal Engine coming out that is influencing how studios uh, work and create things. And there's so many different mediums and styles popping up all the time. How are you, are you constantly, you know, studying, collecting information? Or are you just reaching out to people who know how to do these things and get them to do it? I, I think it's a little bit of both, you know, like we're not trying to do everything ourselves. For yeah. sure. And uh, just connecting with the right people and, uh, you know, conceptually coming with an idea and having a grasp of how things work and then finding partners to, you know, sort of help us make that happen. I think that's really, you know, has been our um, nice. go to go to strategy. I feel like I've been grilling you on your on your studio runs. Hey, you know what? I, I do that every day. <laughs> well, what's, what's, what's something fun that's next for you that you can maybe talk about or like uh, a goal you have that's coming up or something? You know, our, our goal like studio-wise is to really, like you mentioned, like take this Unreal technology and uh, really try to sort of play with it so that we can use it in like mainstream uh, design and production. I know like a lot of people are doing it for, uh, you know, filmmaking, but a lot of individual and smaller uh, shops or studios, you know, are sort of having a little bit of a harder time, like grasping uh, the technology and trying to incorporate that into what they call a pipeline. Uh, you know, we want to sort of take that jump and leap ahead and, yeah. you know, see what's uh, possible with that. So is there anything that I uh, didn't ask you that you maybe want to share or talk about? <laughs> I don't know. Is there, is there anything that uh, we didn't talk about? I feel like we sort of. Yeah, we, we covered, you know, your like journey and whatnot. I guess looking back, like what is, what is something you wish you had known 
earlier on and because you've had quite the journey you know you grew up in India you took an architecture degree then you changed you came over here you got a random internship and then you know fast forward now you're running your own company what what do you wish you would have learned or known sooner that is so valuable to you now um it, could I, it just be like personality wise or something like a life lesson or something yeah I think a life le lesson is like patience 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 yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, just like a younger self wanted everything to get done now faster. But, you know, over time, I feel like letting thoughts marinate, uh, you know, letting ideas sort of evolve and, you know, just having patience and uh, seeing what the final, you know, the result is from like a germ of an idea or, you know, seed of an idea. I think that patience is, you know, definitely have stretched that duration of patience. Do you think you would be at a different place now if you had that patience when you were younger, when you were trying to do everything at once? Uh, maybe, uh, you know, maybe. I think uh, I would have thought of things a little differently. You know, obviously we've stumbled a lot of times and uh, we've learned, but yeah. you know, we're, like I said, being like nimble makes us, helps us get back on our feet and uh, catch up. So, uh, you know, maybe less stumbling. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're just patient and, a little bit. <laughs> more like walking and running. But, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, yes, I I definitely feel like, you know, if, we, if I was a little patient self earlier in my life, yeah. I think I would have sort of, you know, thought through a lot of things that I just jumped into and, you know, learned it the hard way. Can you think of an example, like you said, to let an idea germinate? Can you think of, I'm trying to think of one myself. Can you think of an example where, you, you know, you let that happen? And it was because you were patient that it ended up in a much better place? Um, I can't really like pinpoint some like a particular instance, but like just in terms of, uh, you know, say like uh, the growth of the company, mm. you know, I mean, there are two ways to go about it, right? Like one way is to like, all right, let's just, you know, go for it. Like this is the vision and let's just go fast forward and, you know, uh, let's just grow this into the company I really want to grow, like borrow money and, you know, figure out how to do this. And uh, the other way that, you know, I feel like more satisfied is to let it grow, you know, sort of let things fall into place and finding the right key partners that can actually yeah. help us get there. And, right. you know, that's more of a stable sort of, and it's not like a house of cards that can collapse anytime. Like I can sleep well at night. You know, I know like everyone that works at Attaboy is, you know, for example, like when the pandemic hit, um, you know, because of sort of this sort of structured thought out growth, you know, we weren't like, oh crap, like if we don't hit this billing, like what are we going to do? You know, we were able to take a seat back and be like, guys, we're okay. You know, if this goes on for six months, we're still okay, you know? And so I think like that really, that stability and, you know, that sort of peace of mind helps us think better and, uh, you know, helps me sleep at night. <laughs> I, think I think that's an important point too. You know, as you're saying, like finding the right person is super important because if you, if you're trying to, if you know what you want to do, but you rush into it with the wrong person, it can derail things and whatnot. So yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we've, we've chatted about a lot. Is there anything else that you wanted to share? Maybe as we're, we're wrapping up. No, I think, you know, you know, one thing for like younger, uh, artists, like these days, I feel, you know, just don't be i would say like don't be discouraged you know like just keep on doing what you do and you know you'll eventually find your niche 
Yeah. And I think you only get better by doing stuff like you, you know, that's really, that was my, you know, uh, philosophy is that, you know, like when you start out being a director, like you're like, okay, I don't have 20 spots under my belt that someone can hire me. All right. Yeah. So I have to start somewhere and you just start somewhere. So we, you know, worked with a lot of nonprofits. Oh, and, uh, you know, we said, okay, listen, uh, this is our goal. Like I want to be able to direct stuff because I think I can successfully, um, you know, big brands are not going to give me the opportunity because I haven't proven myself. So we at the, you know, early life of the studio was a lot of nonprofit work is because I would personally reach out to them and, you know, was able to be like, Hey, we'd love to collaborate. You know, here's sort of what we can do. And, uh, we found like some fantastic partners that we continue to work with till date. That's, I haven't heard that before. And that's quite interesting to me. So in the beginning, when you were like, you know, big brands aren't going to work with you because who are you and what have you done? And nonprofits, um, you know, they're, a lot of them are looking for people to, to work with because, you know, they don't have the same opportunities that big brands do. Nice. So you, I guess you purposely reached out to them saying like, let's do more of a collaborative thing where we can create something at the caliber that we want to yeah. for kind of the budget that you have. So you're putting a lot more work into it uh, personally, I guess, to yeah. get to get the stepping stones up. Exactly. And then at the end of the nice. day, we have this sort of meaningful story that yeah. you know, we've said, uh, you know, the other way a lot of people approach it is doing music videos. Right. But to me, like, you know, I think in a music video, the opportunity to tell a meaningful story, I mean, obviously there is like immense opportunity, but you know, for me, like if I was telling a story to promote a purpose or a goal or a cause, and, you know, I was not making money, but at least I knew that, you know, I was promoting awareness and, you know, helping uh, something for a greater good as opposed yeah, totally. to, uh, I mean, you're definitely helping musicians promote their music, but it's not the same as, you know, help working with care and trying to, you know, help them sort of, uh, come up with content that would you know have sort of a wider audience oh that's so cool i've never heard of i never like i've heard the music video thing before i've never heard of nonprofits. i think that's really great because you know like i've talked to studios who are at the very beginning of their formation and you know the hardest thing is to get clients and they're cold calling every single studio and agency and brand to you know get on the roster and whatnot but uh not the nonprofit thing seems like a pretty interesting strategy there so yeah, I think it's easy too. Like they love, you know, and yeah. I, like people that are working in nonprofits, like obviously, you know, have a conscience and they understand like what the end goal is. So I really think like working with them too, like is a lot of fun. Like they're very honest people and there's not a lot of, you know, name dropping or whatever. They really like, once they trust you, they definitely trust you and they take your lead on it. And, uh, you know, that it was really fulfilling experience, actually working with a lot of nonprofits. Oh, cool. I'm glad you shared that because I found that really interesting. Um, cool. Is there, is there, I guess, is there anything else that you think would be great to, uh, to share? No, I think, you know, that's it. Keep, you know, keep on going and follow Attaboy on Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> you know, spread the good word. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Michael. It's been a, um, a pleasure to hear your journey and all about Attaboy and what you're doing. I think it's really cool. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, of course. And if you're listening and uh, you know you want to follow Attaboy or reach out to Vickel, you can do so by emailing him and it's Vickel at attaboystudios.com and their Instagram is at Attaboy and I'll include both those links in the description of this podcast. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye.
The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work. Thank you.